Hare Krishna, uh, welcome to our Sunday Bhagavatam class. Today is February 7th, 2021. And we are going to be to begin today with the Bhagavatam verse 1940. <clears throat> Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, uh, Bhishma is offering his prayers, and today we're going to study some very beautiful prayers. Very beautiful prayers. Interesting because Bhishma wanted to see Krishna as a warrior, you know, attacking him so he could. It's like a child. A child takes great pleasure in wrestling with the father. And so, uh, in the same way, Bhishma wanted to, he enjoyed that rasa fighting with Krishna. But, interestingly, Bhishma also understands and relishes Krishna's other pastimes. So that's what we're going to see today. Um, oh, it's good. That was uh, the verses. The verses posted. He's 1940. So this verse begins, Lalita Gati Vilasa Valbuhasa Pranaya Nirikshana Kalpitorumanaha Kritam Anukrita Vatya Unmadandhaha Prakriti Magan Kila Jasya Gopa Vadvaha. So uh, if you look at the last sort of compound word at the end of the uh, the second line. In Sanskrit compounds, which you can identify because they're words connected by hyphens, um, almost always the way you can, the best way to translate a Sanskrit compound is you start at the end and go backwards. And somehow it comes out in the right word order in English. So it, it, it starts out, Urumanaha, mana, means respect or reputation, as in Lord Chaitanya said, for example, amanina manadena, that kirtaniya sadahari, that one who is amani, that does not have any sense of, I'm just going to adjust myself here, one second, one who is amani, in other words, doesn't have any sense of false prestige or doesn't, think too highly of oneself, but manada, manadena, but by one who is giving mana, uh, respect to others. So mana comes from this course from the Sanskrit root man, to think, like manas, the mind. Uh, and so mana means like to think highly. So urumanaha, the gopis became urumana, they became very highly thought of. Uh, they became glorified in a sense and, and this status, uh, kalpita, which also refers to their own uh, self-conception. In other words, they were thinking themselves to be very fortunate. They were thinking themselves to uh, somehow or other to have received this exalted attention from Krishna. And this was kalpita. This was arranged by nirikshana or, or brought about by kalpita, kalpita urumanaha. Nirikshana, Krishna's glancing upon them. Krishna's glance, nirikshana. Nirikshana means to gaze on someone, uh, to look upon someone. And um, those glances of Krishna, pranaya, were filled with love and uh, hasa, laughing. He was looking upon them and sort of laughing in a very loving way, vulgu, very beautiful. And uh, vilasa uh, means shining or brilliant or splendid. Also, this pastime, lalita gati. Uh, lalita is a very interesting word. Of course, lalita, the feminine form, is one of the gopis. And so, uh, this Krishna's pastimes also, he, he was not only glancing upon them with this loving, laughing, beautiful glance but also vilasa he was moving the way the way he was moving his body movement uh gati means his movement uh 
was uh, this pastime. He was moving in a Lalita way. So I want to read you from the Sanskrit dictionary. Uh, there it is. What Lalita means here as an adjective describing Krishna's movements, it means uh, sporting, playing, loving, amorous, uh, also artless. The word artless doesn't, it's not a bad word in English. It means sort of like innocent, which is another meaning of Lalita, because art has a, has a sense in English like like he, like the art, there was someone was scheming, they were planning, there was an art to what they were doing. So artless in English, without art means there's no uh, plan behind it. It's just very innocent, very open, very spontaneous. So in that sense, Lalita, innocent, soft, gentle, charming, lovely, very positive word. Oh, those are all meanings. I, I wanted to give you the sense of what this word means in Sanskrit. So Krishna was moving in that way, in that Lalita way, Lalita Gati, and in that way performing pastimes, and he was looking upon the gopis, glancing at the gopis uh, with love. He was, it was love and with laughter and with a very beautiful sort of laughing, loving glance. And because of that, because he was glancing at the gopis in that way, they felt themselves to be very to be most fortunate that, uh, that they thought that their lives had become very blessed. And so that's the first two lines. And then, Krita Manu Krita Vatya. Un Madanda. So um, that means, Anta means blind. And Un Mada means like mad, like when you've just gone mad. And so the idea here is the gopis were so maddened by Krishna's presence by seeing Krishna because he's so beautiful that they they became blind not in the sense they couldn't see Krishna but they they could only see Krishna and they sort of forgot themselves and so Kritam <coughs> Kritam <coughs> don't try to talk and swallow at the same time Kritam just means done that which is done and therefore means like a deed you know just something an action an activity Prabhupada translates it. Uh, so anyway, the movement. So anukrita means imitation because krita from the verb kurt to do krita that which is done. In other words, like 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 in Spanish, you'd say un hecho, un faith. It just means something which is done. And so anukrita means to follow and do it, to do the same thing, you know, after someone else, to imitate them. And so the gopis are described as anukrita vatya, that whatever Krishna did, whatever all these beautiful movements, they sort of imitated it because they'd gone mad with ecstasy, and they were they were so absorbed in in what Krishna was doing. And andha indicates that they uh, that they were so absorbed in what Krishna was doing, they hardly knew what they were doing. They were just spontaneously moving the way he was moving. They were just so completely absorbed in his activity. So Kritam Anukrita Vatya Unmadandhaha. And because they were so absorbed in Krishna and spontaneously, without thinking, without knowing what they were doing, just imitating him, Prakriti Magan Kila Jesse, they actually, Kila means here, sort of like actually, they actually went, literally went to his nature. In other words, they just became, they, they completely, their whole existence just went to Krishna's existence and they became absorbed in him. And this is a very good example of Veda Veda. The gopis are obviously different souls. They're not Krishna, but they became absorbed to him. And so absorbed in him and there was like a oneness. And then the last two words describing Gopa Vadvaha, the, uh, the, the coward damsel, literally. Gopa, pa means to protect, like Paula. So, and go means cow, so go pa literally means cow herd or cow protector. And badbaha from, it's the plural of the word vadhu, like the uh, uh, the gopis are described as vraja uh, vadhu. The, uh, anyway, so gopa vadbaha, the cow herd damsel. So, so, and so interestingly, Bhishma, who personally 
is relishing fighting with Krishna as a warrior, and yet he is marveling at the he who is already absorbed in Krishna, his mind's absorbed in Krishna, and yet he's clearly in awe of the gopis and their level of Krishna consciousness. It's you know, how much they love Krishna and how much they became absorbed in his existence. So that's the first verse today. And then, Muni Gana Nripa Varya Sankulayan Taksadasi Judishtira Rajasuya Isham Arhanam Upape the Ikshaniyo Mama Jishi Gochara Isha Avir Atma. It's very nice. So, so Bhishma here, he's he's sort of doing a rasa survey. He's you know he talked about the gopis. Now he's talking about Krishna in his role as the great Yadu prince appearing in Yudhisthira's Rajasuya. So it begins Muni Gananripavarya Sankulain Taksadasi. So Sadas means an assembly, and it comes from the from the root sad to sit which is related to our English word sit or seat, sad. And um, so sadas is a place where people sit in assembly. Uh, so sadasi means in the assembly. Antak, antak means within. Uh, antak sadasi, within the assembly. Uh, Sankule, that was crowded with munigana, the uh, sage community, people from the sage community, great sages, Munigana, and Ripavarya, and the best of kings. So, so the the most important kings and 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 communities of sages, they were crowding this. Uh, they were crowded within. In other words, they all came. It was a very important event. Everybody wanted to get in. So they were within this antasetasi, uh, within the assembly, and which assembly? Yudhisthira Rajasuya, in the assembly, in, in Yudhisthira's Rajasuya assembly. And so Esham, of them, of these people, these great sages and kings, Arhanam Upapede, Krishna earned or achieved or received Arhanam, the, the honor, the great worship, as we know. Krishna was chosen to receive first honors as the most important person in this great assembly, and then Shishupala literally lost his head over it, and that's what and that's when Krishna decapitated Shishupala. But so so, and Krishna is described as Ikshaniyo. Ikshaniyo literally means that which is to be looked upon. In other words, that which is most attractive, uh, that which is most worthy to look at, the most beautiful thing. Prabhupada translates it here, the object of attraction. So, Upapede Ikshaniyo, and then Bhisma concludes by saying, Mama Drishi Gochara Isha Avir Atma. So, Atma, that supreme soul, or uh, that soul is um, Avir, is. Um, Personally visible, right before me, the word avir. The word. These words are very interesting. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the translation of the words so you get a, a, a picture of what these words actually mean. So this word avir means uh, right before your eyes, openly, manifestly, evidently. So, so Bhisma is saying that this soul is right before my eyes. Right, right. I mean, he's right in front of me. This soul, who was so honored in the Rajasuya sacrifice above all the kings and all the sages, this soul who completely enchanted the gopis, this soul is right before my eyes, and he, he is, and because he, he to me, he is Drishi Gochara. Gochara means um, Prabhupada translates within the view. Go here meaning the senses. Chara means uh, moving. So go chara means the range within which your senses can move and, and actually function. So, for example, if, if you look at something which is too far away, 
for you, that is not go chara. Your senses cannot move within that range. It's too far or something too close. So go chara means uh, within within the view of your senses, within view. So mama drishi go chara So he, the Lord, is when literally within the view of my of my sight, personally, right in front of my eyes. This this Krishna who did all these things and who was honored in all these ways. So the next verse is uh, it's very poetic. You'll see that it has a very has a very interesting rhythm. So I'll chant it. It goes, um, Tummy Mama Hunga Jung, Tummy Mama Hunga Jung, Shadid of Hajang, Hridi Hridi Dishitam Atma Kalpita Nang, Prati Jasham Eva Naika Dharka Makam, Samadhi Gatos Vidhuta Veda Moha. These verses are composed very consciously with uh, excellent meters. So, um, Prabhupada translates this, Now I can meditate with full concentration upon that one Lord, Sri Krishna, now present before me, because I have transcended the misconceptions of duality in regard to his presence in everyone's heart, even in the hearts of the mental speculators. He is in everyone's heart. The sun may be perceived differently, but the sun is one. So uh, he says, Tam Imang. Tam means that, and Imang means this. So anyway, in Sanskrit, you know, it's hard to explain it here in the, just very quickly, but it's sort of like that's in Sanskrit how you would say like that very one or that very person. Portuguese used to say mesmo, ele mesmo. That's so that's actually how you say it in Sanskrit. Tummy mum. Like that, this, that, you know, this person, that very person. So tummy mum, aham, I, ajam, the Lord who was unborn, Sharida Vajam, of those who have who have accepted bodies. Sharida Vajam. So uh pretty pretty dishitam. Uh, is uh, in every heart. The way you say often in Sanskrit, I mean, there's different ways you can say in every, you could say pratihridi, but a, a common way to say in every is just to repeat the word. So hridi means in the heart. So hridi, hridi. In the heart, in the heart means in every heart. By the way, um, the, the subject of the sentence, I'm trying to give for those who are looking at the Sanskrit, the subject of the sentence is Bhishma himself. I in the first line he says um I and then in the last line he says am I am um us me so in Sanskrit because it's an inflected language in other words you tell what part of speech or where the word goes by the ending and so if you know Sanskrit you know that um us me so therefore the word order is very free in English you have to say I am seeing but in Sanskrit it doesn't matter would say seeing I am or I seeing am or and if you know Sanskrit it's just it's the same. So you have extraordinary opportunity for for poetic composition because you have all this freedom of where to put the words. So in terms of rhythm, in terms of effect, you have all this freedom because it's an, an inflected language. Anyway, so Bhishma says aham in the first line, then in the last line, us me am, I am and then samadhi gato, uh, it actually means like I am approached. In, in, in English, uh, we would say I have approached. We'd use the auxiliary verb have. In many other languages, including Latin, certain Latin languages, you can say I am approached, which means like I have approached. And that's what it is here. Aham asmi samadhi gato. And samadhi gato sort of, literally means like some means together, like sankirtan, together kirtan, and adi, over, so, and gato, I've gone over together with someone. So that's literally what it means, some adi gato. And so we just translate in English approach, but if you know Sanskrit, <laughs> there's a lot there. It's it's very descriptive, some adi gato. I, I am gone over to, like to join someone. So samadhi gatosmi, I in other words, in the sense of I have gone over 
to join or I have approached Tummy Mum, that very person, that very person who is Aja, that very unborn person. So I have approached that very person who is unborn and Hridhi Hridhi Dishtitam, who is situated in each heart, in every heart, Sharida Bhajam, of those who have taken material bodies. And then the third line is where you really get some philosophy. Pratitrasham Eva Naikadha Arkam Ekam. So Arka means the sun. So Arkam 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 Ekam means the one sun, uh, which is Na Ekadha. Ekadha is something like Eka, of course, means one. So it's like in English saying one fold, like you say one fold, two fold, three fold, like how many there are something. So Ekadha so means one fold. And uh, so the sun is one, but it's not one fold. And the reason the sun is one, but it's not just one, is because Prati Drisham, everyone can see it. So everyone. So in other words, uh, we see the sun now in California. It's about 720, 721. On the East Coast, it's already uh, about 1020, 1021. So the sun's higher in the sky. Obviously, in Europe, it's uh, it's already in the afternoon. And if you go keep going in India, it's already the evening. So the sun is one. The sun is one, but it's. It's not one fold because prati drisham, each person can see it. So prati drisham eva naika dharka meka, but it's said very poetically. The Sanskrit is very clever. And so that little description of Krishna, because, and in a sense, Bhisma has just given an example of what he means because the gopis saw Krishna in a very different way than Bhisma. And of course, Yudhisthira doesn't want to fight with Krishna. The last thing in the world Yudhisthira wants to do is to fight with Krishna, but Bhishma does want to fight with Krishna. So Bhishma is giving all these different pastimes, and this is the sense in which Krishna is na ekadha. He's not one fold. Arkamekam, like the one sun, which is Pratidrasham, is seen by each person. So that so Bhishma here describes himself as Viduta Veda Moha. That I'm a person who has <coughs> literally shaken off, like freed from, but let's see how Prabhupada translates that. I'm just curious here. There, there are many English words you could use. Uh Prabhupada says being freed from. Uh, so uh Literally, kind of duta means like shaken, like the like a rug. You know, you sort of shake out all the dust out, so you can shake, like shake it off. I know when I play sports, like in baseball, if someone got hit by the ball, people would say, "Shake it off, shake it off," like just you know. <laughs> so, so we duta, and then of course another way to say sort of to shake off all illusion, ava means down. So ava duta, the shake down, says shake off. So an ava duta is someone has kind of shaken off all worldly customs and acts in very what appear to be very eccentric ways. So so Bhishma here says that I am Viduta Veda Moha. I've shaken off the illusion, Moha, of Veda, of, of duality. Prabhupada translates it, the misconception of duality or of difference, literally of difference, of separation. And so... Uh, so there, there are various ways to apply this. It means that Bhishma is, in a sense, he has shaken off the illusion that he is different from other devotees because superficially, you know, one is a gopi, one is King Yudhisthira. There are all kinds of different souls, but we're not really separate because we're all souls and we're not really separate from Krishna because Krishna is actually appearing to everyone. And so there are various ways, legitimate ways, that you can understand these words. The Bhagavatam is very rich like that. It's with a few words, it can say many things. So that's this verse. Tami mamaham ajam sharira bhajam dishtitam atma kalpitana. Oh, and then I left that out. Those who have taken bodies and atma kalpitanam, 
Prabhupada translates kalpitanam of the speculators uh, in the super soul. So the way Prabhupada translates those who speculate about the soul. So kalpita, uh, I'm just going to uh, go back to the dictionary, which you all love. Maybe you all get very excited when I go to the dictionary. So kalpita means something which is made, fabricated, artificial, or in a positive, more composed, invented, and as, as assumed, supposed, inferred. So if you take it, uh, kalpa or kalpita here, as inferred, you infer something, you suppose something, you assume something in the sense of uh, the Spanish portion would be like presumir. And um, so they're presuming about, they're assuming things about the soul, or they're imagining things about the Supreme Soul. And so to these people who are sort of imagining, trying to understand what their own soul is or what the super soul is, Krishna is in each one of their hearts. Because they, the reason they're trying to understand is because they are Shadita Bhajam. They've taken material bodies, which... Uh, you know, doesn't really help your intelligence to have a material body. So they're trying to figure things out. They're inside this material body, and yet Krishna, Hridi Hridi Dishitam is in all of their hearts. So there's a lot in this verse. There's a lot of philosophy in that verse. Maybe I'll do one more, and uh, then I'll see if there are any questions. I make a little money on the side, you know, answering the questions. So, uh, that is the end of Bhishma's questions. Uh, not questions, prayers. That's the end of Bhishma's prayers. And then Sutta. Now Sutta returns. Sutta speaking in his own voice, not just telling us what Bhishma said, but Sutta is now speaking in his own voice. And so Sutta Vacha Krishna Evam Bhagavati Manova Gristi Vritti V Atmanam Avesha So Shasa Uparamat. Hmm. Very powerful statement. So he's explaining what Bhishma did next. So Krishna Evam Bhagavati. So the subject of the sentence is the first word of the fourth line. So, or sa, originally. Saha means he. So he, Avesha, placing placing Atmanam, his soul, Atmani, in the soul, uh, in the super soul. Probably translate. So literally placing soul in soul. But of course here it means placing the soul in the supreme soul, and he and that supreme soul is Krishna, which is, uh, anyway, it's Krishna, without the Sunday, Krishna evam Bhagavati. So thus he, Bhishma, directly placing his soul in the Supreme Soul, Krishna, in the Supreme Soul was the Lord Krishna, Krishna even Bhagavati, that's doing that. And he did that. He placed his soul in the Supreme Soul, in, in Lord Krishna. He did that Manova Dristi Vritti B with all the functions, Vritti B means with the functions, uh, of Mano, of his mind, Vag, of his speech, Drishti, and of his vision. You're seeing. So with the, with the functions of mind, speech, and sight, he, Bhishma, thus placing his soul in, in the Supreme Soul, in Lord Krishna. So Antakshasa, he breathed in, Anta. Anta, of course, from the uh, word anta, we have English words like internal. So, so anta kshasa, literally, he breathed in, or Prabhupada says inhaling. He breathed in uparamat and uh, became silent. So bismas. And so the, the verb here is upa, it's the past tense uparamat from the verb uparam. So I'll just uh, tell you what this verb means because you'll see from the synonyms 
it's very, I think it'll clarify what Chris. So that verb uparamat, which is the past tense, it means he seized from motion. So not only so he actually became motionless, he stopped. It means he seized from action, he became inactive or quiet. As Prabhupada says, you know, he stopped. Just to stop speaking, to stop doing anything, to leave off. He desisted, he gave so he just everything's stopping. He's not he just breathed in and just stopped everything. So that's so that that's what's actually going on. Uparamat. So I will stop there. I hope this is a cliffhanger for you. This will bring you back next week to find out what happens. So now I'll check to see if there are uh, any uh, questions here. So thank you all for leaving your messages. Hare Krishna. Okay, here's one I'll translate from the Portuguese. According to the Oh my God! Just go to read, and then new ones come in. So uh, anyway, definitely imperfect technology. Okay, so I've got to go back. It wasn't me. I'm innocent. Well, at least in that respect. Oh my God! Stevira Bhakti's and sends greetings from frozen Minnesota. So if you're not in Minnesota, just be thankful. Of course, if you are in Minnesota and you're preaching, then you should be thankful for that. So I'm trying to find that question. Okay. Shaki Jacques. Could Bhishma have chosen to be on the Kodava side specifically because he wanted to be opposite Krishna and thus experience and enjoy Krishna's anger on the battlefield? That's a, I think that's a good point. So I would say there are a lot of things going on in Bhishma's decision. It's, a, it's sort of a complex thing, but wanting to fight with Krishna, as he himself expressed, that was his pleasure. And I think that's a good point. That's that's also part of what Bhishma is doing. Oh, greetings from Scotland. So I'm trying to find, I was just about to read that question, and then suddenly it moved. So from Scotland, what do you think about near-death experiences and outer body experiences? What do I think about them? Um... Yeah, they really seem to happen, don't they? I mean, I mean, so many people had near-death experiences and um, an outer body, so yeah, they happen. Of course, I'm betting all my marbles on just chanting Hare Krishna. Okay, I found it now. Analu, 108. So I'm translating from Portuguese. According to the teachings of Prabhupada, Varnashram does not mean qualification by birth but uh, but by qualification uh, why then uh, was karna discriminated against it's an interesting point um, two things come to mind you know yeah Varnashram really talk about varna here often we say varnashram but we're really talking about the varnas um, first of all, if you read the Mahabharata or the Bhagavatam, it's very hard. I mean, almost everybody has a caste according to their family. Almost everybody does that. And of course, Karna, who was born, uh, well, people didn't know he was born from the greatest Kshatriya, the son. So he was called Sutta, which would be someone from a lower birth. And uh, and also um, Roma Harshana, who there was a little uh, blemish on his birth, so to speak. Yet he was given the service. But what's interesting here? Uh, so almost all the time, people did follow the varna of their parents. Almost all the time. And also. This was a type of, you could say, natural, uh, organic, genetic engineering. Because if you have people who, by qualification, are, let's say, kshatriyas, a man and a woman, and they begin a child, especially in that cultural atmosphere, 
it's very likely that their child will be eccentria because the parents are eccentria and the child is brought up in that way from birth and so um or a brahmana so once you start this in other words once you have people assigned to different varnas by their actual qualities as krishna says guna karma qualities and work and if marriages are done strictly then you tend to have a certain you i would say um genetic stability in other words you you tend to actually get pure lines genetic lines but of course sometimes it doesn't happen and what's interesting though in the case of karna is that um he was brought up of course by parents who were very good loving parents but were not chatrias actually his father was a chariot driver and a chariot maker and that's what the word suta also meant i've explained before that if you are a chariot driver then you know better than anyone what actually happened in the battle battlefield you probably know better even than the kshatriya who's chariot you're driving you probably better know better than he does like i've experienced that when i have assistants people assisting me and a lot of times they remember better than i do like what i said or what was going on because i'm caught up in the moment whereas they're just kind of watching and so and so the chariot drivers also recited the stories of kings and of other great personalities but so so the same word was used for both even if they weren't always the same person so in the case of karna uh he actually in his youth exhibited behavior that was not really up to the standard when he basically he basically lied on his college admission application because he wanted to it's like if you're applying to get into a college and you you know you cheat and you claim that you have degrees you don't have or you know you studied things you didn't study or stuff like that or my father went to the school when he really didn't and so karna was applying to be taught by parashuram and he lied he tried to cheat which is you know really bad move because parashuram's an avatar so you know first rule don't try to cheat an avatar <laughs> so that behavior shows that there was some flaw in karna in a sense when karna was called suta which he was a suta putra son of a suta like you know you son of a putra there was something actually accurate about it another thing which really struck me in the mahabharata the first time you actually meet karna as an adult or as a maybe maybe i don't know how old he is 18 years old or whatever he is but he, but you know he's is at the uh, graduation ceremony for uh dronacharya's military academy they're having the graduation ceremony and it's just like it's just like the colleges or high schools when there's a graduation ceremony they put up all these seats you know for the for the people to come the families come everyone's taking pictures and there's music and so there was like a real sort of modern graduation ceremony when karna finished teaching the pandavas and the kurus and i mean imagine i mean imagine if you're a parent and your child is graduating from college and you know you're very proud mother and father are there all the, the whole family's there and then right in the middle of the ceremony someone just walks up on the stage that wasn't invited that's not supposed to be there and starts pushing around or wants and starts insulting the graduates i mean that's frankly that's very low class that's exactly what karna did he crashed the graduation ceremony penetra they say in brazil and um and just tried to do everything in his power to humiliate arjuna and what's interesting here is that there's no mention anywhere in the mahabharata that arjuna had ever offended karna or even new karna and so that behavior also is just uh sorry it's just not up to the standard so in 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 karna's behavior with arjuna and karna's behavior with parashuram he showed that he really wasn't up to the cultural standard he wasn't there and so in that sense uh everyone misunderstood his birth but in another sense they actually didn't misunderstand 
And then another example is you have the case of Roma Harshana, which literally means hair raising. APR, of course, because, uh, because Roma means hair. Roma means hair. And uh, Harshana means like excitement. And so like hair raising, you know, that the, so Roma Harshana, I don't know how he got that name. But he uh, disrespected Balaram. He was so full of his position, like I'm on the Vyasasana, even though his birth was not pure, uh, he didn't offer respect to Balaram. Big mistake not to offer respect to Balaram. Usually people that do that don't survive the experience. So he disrespected Balaram, and then Balaram, you know, wanted to, in a very nice, brahminical way, remove him. So he just took a kusha grass and ting. So, again, what's interesting, you have these cases of people who are given positions, even though their social position is not really there, and they end up misbehaving. So in a sense, what the Bhagavatam is telling us is that back in those days, because the people were extremely serious about training their children, and you had this genetic engineering going on, so that the people who weren't really there, I mean, um, Karna was genetically there, but not culturally. Um, so, so it was a very conservative social system. But of course, that can be taken to an irrational extreme. It can be taken to the point where it starts to undermine and corrupt the society, which is, of course, what happens in Kali Yuga. And it begins, of course, with Sringi, that son of a, of a Brahmin who was foolish and uh, cursed Parishi Maharaj. So there you have someone who was you know, born to an advanced Brahmin but was uh, corrupted. By, by pride. So those are some of my thoughts on that. Let's see. Uh, is there anything else here? I'm looking for the question marks. Remember, you, oh, from, oops, I just had it and then it jumped on me. No fair. Okay. Sankarshana. Question. Given that Srila Vyasdev is accepted as the undisputed authority for Vedantas, how it how is it that there is no uh, that there is so much contention about the nature of the absolute truth for Vedantas when Srila Vyastev had left such explicitly personalist verses like these? It's an interesting question. Um, first of all, um, of course, the Brahma Sutras or Vedanta Sutras themselves are sutras. And the word sutra means thread. And that's where we get our uh, English word suture, like to stitch something. How do you say it in Portuguese? To sew. Coser. Costurar. Yes, sutra, studar. And so, um, so the sutras are, you know, they'll say something like uh, birth, etc. of this. Zenma just said, uh, birth, etc., of this from which. So if you just take the, the statement, birth, etc., of this from which, clearly that's an invitation to speculation. <laughs> and so the sutras are just a thread. It's interesting, Krishna uses the word thread in the Bhagavad Gita where he, he says that, Ahang's, uh, that I'm the source of everything, where everything is resting on me. Actually, everything is resting on me. Um, which literally means everything is woven on me. Everything is everything is woven on me, sutre, uh, as on a thread, mani ganaiva, uh, like pearls on a thread. So, so sutras themselves are a bit esoteric, to say the least. Although, if you look at them objectively and really study them, you can see that it's ultimately teaching. Vaishnavism, as most Western scholars have seen. So, um, as far as the Bhagavatam, uh, the Bhagavatam gives very sort of advanced, sophisticated 
um, theology and philosophy. And so uh, people who want to push the impersonal idea will, will simply put all these texts in a hierarchy. They'll say that, well, this text is for beginners and this text is for, I mean, even Prabhupada says it. For example, Prabhupada says there are 18 Puranas, six for those in the mode of ignorance, six for those in the mode of passion, six for those in goodness. So even Prabhupada and, and other Acharyas, they uh, teach a hierarchy, a gradual hierarchy, even of, of Vedic scriptures. And so because there are statements in different scriptures that are not on their surface compatible. Uh, and so really it's a debate about what is the proper way to, uh, what is the proper order to put them in. And of course, that's why Jiva Goswami in his Tattva Sandarbha, which means it's sort of the foundational work on Godi Vaishnava epistemology, he gives an elaborate, sophisticated argument concluding that um, the primary source of valid spiritual knowledge, the highest source of spiritual knowledge is the Bhagavatam. And so because you do find this uh, different ways of prioritizing or uh, you know, putting in grading different Vedic literatures, therefore, Jiva Goswami, the first point he wants to make is that the most important Shastra is the Bhagavatam, and he gives many learned arguments to that effect. So, so it's not something that everyone just automatically accepts. Uh, let's see. In the case of Adutas having eccentric attitudes, we have some. As you know, Iskon is not bereft of eccentrics. We have some. In the case of Avadutas having eccentric attitudes, how can one adapt to the external society that one is placed in at the moment? At the well, Avadutas don't adapt. They're psychologically, they're not wired that way. So they're going, they are, and they're going to remain eccentric. I mean, there are Avadutas who just choose that as a lifestyle. They're not eccentric. They're just, they're, they're choosing a certain lifestyle because that's their path. So, but we tend to use the word Avaduta in a somewhat sort of sarcastic way, like, oh, he's an Avaduta, meaning it's sort of like the ISKCON word for very eccentric. And so, if you take it in that way, then some people are just, they're very eccentric. We just have to do all we can to minimize the extent to which they embarrass us. So, uh, Bhishma's sense of duty caused him to fight on the wrong side. Oh, Brahmacharya. Uh, to some extent. I mean, that was definitely, and I'm just working on this right now in my depiction of the Mahabharata. I was working on that last night. And um, because look what Bhishma gave up. I mean, since he was tricked, I, I really see this Fisher King as kind of a villain in this story, or, or, or he became a villain because. When Shantanu personally asked for the hand of Satyavati, uh, which in a sense he didn't have to do because he wasn't her real father. Her real father was actually King Vasu, who by, by that time I think had passed on or gone in retirement. So he wasn't even a real father. It was almost like a courtesy to ask his blessing. And he told Shantanu that, uh, yes, it would be a great honor for my daughter to marry you, but uh, her son, my grandson, has to be the king. That's all he said. I went over these things in the Mahabharata because I really read them over and over again, the Sanskrit. I really wanted to be very precise, and it, it's very simple. And so Shantanu said, I can't do that because at that point, uh, Bhishma was the Yovaraja, which means the heir, what are they called? Not the, the heir apparent, or not the heir apparent, but the, um, it, it, what it means is that constitutionally, that person, uh, yeah, heir apparent is the word, heir presumptive is a different, heir presumptive means that someone is next in line to the throne, 
But if suddenly some long lost relative who's closer in line shows up, then that person gets the throne. So heir presumptive means we presume that this is the next king. Whereas heir apparent means that that person legally is now next in line and that can't be changed. And, and so the Sanskrit word for this, heir apparent, the Sanskrit word for this is uh, Yogaraja. Literally like, like the young king, the prince. And so that was Bhishma. So Shantanu could not legally agree that his eventual son with Satyavati would be the king. He couldn't legally do that. And I'm sure he didn't want to do that because he promised his son. So, so he went home to Hastinapur and he was miserable. And, and his son, Devavrata, who became Bhishma, found out the reason. He decided, I have to please my father. It's also interesting on a personal level because I'm working on these things that Bhishma had grown up without his father. Because at his birth, uh, uh, Ganga took him back to Devaloka, to the worlds of the, of the Devas. And that's where he was educated. He went to school there and he came back as a um, sort of a young teenager. I don't know, or maybe a, uh, you know, maybe 12, 13. So he's actually young. And, and then, four, and so then four years later. So one thing to keep in mind is when Bhishma, I think this is important to understand Bhishma, when Bhishma is making these, this vow, he's a teenager. He's a teenager. So it's not necessarily like, like a mature decision. He's a teenager. And so when Devavrata, Bhishma, goes to get Satyavati for his father, the fisherman, if you actually read literally what the Mahabharata says, he really cheats. Because he told Shantanu that uh, I will give you my daughter if her son becomes king. So when Devavrata goes there, he's prepared just to, okay, I'll give that up. Your uh, grandson will become king. But then once Bhishma agrees to that, he's actually said, I give up my throne in favor of your grandson. So he's already given up the throne. It's gone. Then the Fisher kings start piling on new conditions, which were unstated before. Oh, by the way, uh, that's really great that you give up the throne, but what about your son? You'll have a son and that son may fight my grandson for the throne. So then Bhishma has to agree not to marry and have children. So basically the Fisher King is destroying his life from the material point of view. And also another point which is not discussed I, I, because um, I've really thought about this a lot and I, I think what's really going on is there's a lot more going on than you read in the standard comic books or, or, you know, summaries. And that is the, this, this Dasha Raja, which means the Fisher King, is really insulting Bhishma. Because he's saying that, uh, he first says that if, that if you become someone's rival, then that person literally says, will not live happily. If you become someone's rival, that person is not going to have a happy life. What he's saying to Bhishma is that even though you give your sacred word on your honor that you will respect uh, my grandson as king, you may cheat. You may not have good character. You may go back on your word. You may, which is really very insulting. So all of the Fisher King's concerns and fears are based on uh, really an insulting view of Bhishma's character. So that's what's going on. So, so here you have this teenager who's given up everything. And, and I think another thing, a factor which I believe is very important, is that Bhishma, at this point, has spent most of his life on a higher planet. So at the point in which he makes these vows, he's only been on Earth about four years, and he spent most of his life on higher planets, so probably he's thinking, yeah, the earth, I mean, you know, big deal. I can give this up. I, I, I've lived on much higher planets. I'm not going to worry about this planet. This, this is just earth. So because of his age, he's still a teenager. 
he is not really doesn't he's not he doesn't really he's not really impressed by the earth that much. Sure, I can be a yogi. I'll just be a, I'll be a nice yogi brahmachari. So, but he says all this when he's young, and as time goes on, in my view, uh, I think he realized that it's not as simple as he might have thought. You know, you can make decisions when you're a teenager, and as you get older, you realize, well, it's not that simple. And the fact that Bhishma developed this character, he developed this personality, where for him, keeping his word was everything. Keeping his vow was everything. I think that's all he had left. That's all the honor he had left. And if, if you believe the Mahabharata passages which talk about Bhishma going to win the three Kashi princesses for Vichitravirya, when he went there, he wasn't received very respectfully. So it's not that the other Kshatriyas thought, wow, you're a great man. So really all he had left was his honor, the honor of his vow. And so he just clung to that. And there's there's a third condition. You're getting a long version here, but there's a there's a third condition which logically Bhishma must have agreed to, because if he didn't agree to a third condition, the first two would be meaningless. And so, in my view, there were there, were, there was a three part vow. The obvious third condition was that Bhishma would not take up arms; he would not fight. unless it was at the order of the Kuru king. Because the whole world already had the example of King Vasu, who is the, um, the father of Satyavati, the real father. Vasu, Uparichara Vasu, which literally means upwardly mobile Vasu, was actually born in the Kuru dynasty, not an heir to the throne but he was born in the Kuru dynasty. And yet, by Indra's arrangement, he took over the kingdom of Chedi. So Ikuru took over Chedi. What that means is that Bhishma could have agreed to the first two conditions. I will not become the Kuru king, and uh, I will not produce, or I, or I won't have a, a son who will, you know, maybe fight for the throne. Bhishma could have just gone to some other kingdom. There are lots of kingdoms around in those days. He could have easily. He, he's the son of a goddess. He's the son of a goddess, and he's the, and he's the son of Shantanu, who in Shantanu's last life was also in Devaloka. So he's got some very powerful genes. Bhishma is very powerful. So he could have just gone to some other kingdom. There are many of them, conquered it, become the king of that place, and then just defeated the Kurus, which he could have done. After his father was gone, he could have easily defeated the Kurus. So, in other words, this Fisher King was sort of ambitious, and even it's mentioned in Mahabharata, it's kind of like taking out little hints and clues, and you have to put them together to see what's really going on. So it's mentioned that he was Rajarataya, that, that he really wanted to get this prestige, the status to have someone in his family. He wasn't really thinking of his daughter. He was just thinking of his own status. And so, um, and, and he lived in Shady. He'd seen in his own kingdom, he'd seen a Kuru prince come and become the king of Shady. So he obviously knew that Bhishma, so therefore he wouldn't be safe unless Bhishma could only fight, could only take up arms under the authority under the direct authority of a Kuru king. And so that must have been a third condition. So um, so if you look at Bhishma's consciousness, like I said, uh, sense of duty, that's all he has left. There's no other dignity in his life. He's being humiliated by, by his um, grandson, Duryodhana, 
insulted by his own grandson. He has no dignity left. He goes to the he goes to the Swamvara of the Kashi princesses, and people laugh at him there. All he has left in his life, the only dignity, the only honor he has left in his life, is that he keeps his vow. And so he like elevates that principle above everything. And it's the same attitude, by the way, which you find in Bhishma's failure to defend Draupadi in the gambling hall. Because for Bhishma, he's developed a, a mentality where the letter of the law, the letter of the law is everything. So he really gets hung up like when, well, technically, you know, this or that. And so that's Bhishma, a great soul who ultimately surrenders to Krishna fully, who is a pure devotee of Krishna, but who is, I, I think, in my view, at least in his pastimes, Bhishma is a great devotee. So let's just assume he's playing this role in Krishna Leela. It's part of the drama that his decision, this vow he took, uh, affected him and affected his personality and his decisions for the rest of his life. So that's how I see it. Let's see. Gary Stevenson. If there is time left, perhaps we could explore when Bhishma Dave surrendered to Krishna. Did he then assume his eternal relationship with him like friendship? Well, he surrendered when he agreed, when uh, Krishna came at him with the chariot wheel, and Bhishma just surrendered because he had promised Duryodhana many, many, many times, because Duryodhana kept nagging him about it. He many times promised Duryodhana that he would fight, he would give it everything. But when Krishna came at him, he just sort of surrendered, which means he placed Krishna Bhakti above his vow. And so I think at that point, he really got past all impediments. And then, of course, we see on the bed of arrows, he's... So at that point, he's fully surrendered. And you see in his prayers, he's fully surrendered. Uh... I should speak in Spanish, someone said. Okay, I do speak in Spanish, actually, just not right now. So, uh, Bhishma is, a, I'm translating Bhishma, oh no, it's English, is a personification of Dharma. Can we judge his motives? Uh, Prabhupada also says in a purport that Bhishma lost his respectability because he supported Duryodhana. So he's a personification of Dharma in certain cases, in other cases, more problematic. Uh, Arjun judges his motives in the Bhagavad Gita. So it's a complex situation. How was Bhishma trained in Devaloka and came back within a reasonable time frame according to Earth time? Uh, they can adjust these things. They have all they have the necessary technology for that. Um, biologically, the Pandavas are genuine inheritors of the Bharata kingdom. Uh, biological, biologically was not the issue, it was Dharma. By Dharma, they, they were the heirs. <laughs> For example, Julius Caesar adopted uh, Augustus or his, uh, as his son. That was common. In the Roman world, if someone had a high position or was rich and didn't have uh, an heir or didn't have a worthy heir, they would adopt someone who became legally their heir. And so that's why Augustus Caesar became the next emperor, and that was considered to be lawful and proper. So in the same way, um, the Pandavas are the legitimate, by Dharma, the legitimate heirs to the kingdom of Pandu. Uh, could you elaborate on the point of how Bhishma Dev overcame the misconception of duality and seeing the same Krishna of his heart present in everyone's heart? Well, if you're fighting in a battlefield, you uh, are not just meditating on Krishna in the heart of the people who are, you know, firing weapons at you. So now his battle is over, his fighting is over. And so he's just, he's not seeing, you know, our side and their side, he's just seeing Krishna. So another question from the same person in Spanish. Um... That's not really related to uh, the lecture. So, Eshel Grinberg. 
Please, uh, could you explain the relevance of any of the connection to higher planets that are in Krishna consciousness to us in this day and age? I don't know if we really have a connection. Uh, I mean, we know they're there, and the, and the devas certainly are all big fans of Lord Chaitanya Sankirtan movement. Uh, but in the process of Krishna consciousness that Prabhupada gave us, we don't really interact very much with the uh, with the devas. Uh, unless, of course, one has more faith in astrology than Krishna. But in, in, in the Krishna consciousness that um, Prabhupada gave us, we we don't really interact with them. You have a question? How can we apply all this poesy that Bisma said in the days of our how can we apply all these poetic thoughts of Bhishma? How can we apply it in our own daily Krishna consciousness by understanding what it means? If you know what the poetry means, it's it's very powerful instruction in Krishna consciousness. And if you're a poet, you can enjoy that too. So thank you very much. Thank you very much for attending our, our Bhagavatam class, and I hope uh, we'll be together next Sunday. Hare Krishna.